Welcome to the Soul Talks podcast, where we equip pastors, leaders, and other men and women in ministry to thrive with Jesus in their life and leadership. Now let's join Bill and Christy Galtier, doctors in psychology, spiritual directors, and founders of Soul Shepherd. Hello, Soul Talks friends. I am so glad to connect with you. We've got a special podcast for you. We've got our friend Ken Baugh here in the studio with me, and uh, we are going to talk about his new book, Unhindered Abundance. Ken, welcome to Soul Talks. Thanks, Bill. It's been a long time, but it's great to be back. Yeah, we were just talking about that, and I can't believe it's been like five years since Ken's been on Soul Talks. Some of you will remember that, and we, we talked then about um, a journey we shared that you invited me into Wow, uh, what what an ordeal when you were let go from your position as as lead pastor, one of the leading churches here in Orange County, and just a whole process there that was really really difficult after ten years of service and and uh, just there was some disagreement. You know these things happen in in churches, and uh, but wow, that was an emotional journey for you. Yeah, and you and Christy were so helpful to Susan and I through that process, and. You and I journeyed a little longer and a little deeper as a result of that, which was very helpful and has been bearing some really good fruit over these last years. Well, it's been a joy for me and an honor for me to have a, have a place in your story, Ken, and I feel like I've got a little, little piece of unhindered abundance there, you know, having, having been with you and, and just, we've been in the trenches together, you know, yeah. we were in some really difficult uh, elder meetings and just doing you were doing your best to uh, love people, some of whom were not in agreement with you at that time, and uh, they were they were doing their best too, but uh, it was tough, and so we would process afterwards and cry out to God, and uh, yeah, you were just really stellar in your, just your vulnerability and leaning into the Lord's presence and, you know, asking questions. You know, one, one of your quotes, I think it's an unhindered abundance, but nothing is wasted. You've had that in your email signature for a long time. Yeah. And you really leaned into the, the sovereignty of God and uh, that, you know, God really does work all things together for good, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when you're in a situation with, um, you know, unfairness and feel like you're being mistreated and not understood. Um, but yet God is good through that. And you leaned into that. Yeah. You know, as a pastor for so long, you come into contact with a lot of people that are in difficult times and you're able to minister to them and say a lot of things to them, hopefully appropriately in the right time and place. But then you get the opportunity to start putting those into practice in your own life, and you realize how difficult it can be to execute some of those things than it is to talk about them. Mm -hmm. And so I think over these last few years, especially for me, it's it's, it's created more integrity in what's going on inside of me and how I talk with other people and how I process that in my own self. And that's been a really fruitful learning experience and growth process. Yeah. You've really linked up your, um, your theology, your careful thoughts about scripture and discipleship to Jesus. You've linked that up with the the deeper places in your soul and your emotions. And in the middle of all that learned a lot about neurology and our our physical person and how all this intersects. Yeah, and I think it's important to look at discipleship from more of a holistic perspective than we maybe have been in the past. And that takes into consideration how God has created us, which takes us down the road of 
neurology as well as psychology and sociology and philosophy. I mean, I think all the the disciplines can help inform us in all of that. And those, I like to think, fall under the umbrella of general revelation. So I don't see a conflict there. And and yet it's been really important to me to build my practice as well as the book a thesis on a very robust biblical foundation because I really want it to be something people feel safe to engage with and aren't aren't able to kind of wiggle out of it by thinking, oh, well, this isn't biblically accurate over here, and this isn't over here, and he takes this scripture out of context over here. So I'm not saying it's perfect, but it was really thought through, and a lot of people had their hands on looking through it. You were one of them. But uh, I really think we've come up with something that will be helpful. Yeah, you were listening can tell. Uh, Ken Baugh is a scholar of the Word. Uh, it reminds me when I was in uh, Dallas Willard's spirituality and ministry class. I was with 20 pastors. We were in a monastery for two weeks with Dallas. And at one point, he looked out at all of us and said, uh, you are scholars of the word. And I like looked over my shoulder like, who's he talking to? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a psychologist. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, you've, you've taken that to heart. I have too, actually. Uh, yeah. Some pastors tell me they think I know the Bible better than they do. I don't know if that's the case. But yeah, I, I, we're, we're brothers in that, in that mm-hmm. um, in Soul Shepherding, we really want everything that we teach and do to be grounded in Scripture and uh, following Jesus with all, all our hearts. And so uh, Unhindered Abundance is just full of Scriptures and uh, teachings from the Bible and then integrating that with neurology and psychology in our spiritual formation. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's really what we talk about in the book as the ultimate goal of the Christian life is being formed into the image of Christ. Paul talks about yeah. that in Second Corinthians 3.18. And I don't, I don't know why, but as, as long as I was a pastor, it took me a long time to get in, into my thinking that discipleship is really a catalyst toward that goal, becoming more like Jesus in his character and in his quality of life that I liken to, uh, the Hebrew word shalom, which is that inner state of well-being mm-hmm. that is possible for those that are in Christ. And so when you put all that together and you think about how discipleship is a, is a means, a process, if you will, uh, toward that goal, gosh, it just starts putting everything else into a lot uh, greater context and, and clarity. Yeah, you know, the thing that I especially interests me and that I admire about you, Ken, is that you're... Your message in Unhindered Abundance and your whole um, ministry is really coming out of your life, and you started on a path that was very uh, steeped in biblical training and theology, and uh, that was really your focus as a pastor. And it still is, however, you have added to it a lot more self-awareness and uh, emphasis on emotional health and relationality, and then, of course, also the, the neurology piece so it's it's just interesting to me how you've come on your journey and that even uh, this is a sad part of your story, I think. I don't think we've actually talked about this part of it, but it seems to me that your your journey of going deeper into your your emotions and spiritual formation and seeing that is central to discipleship along with studying the Bible, that that's part of what made things rocky for you at your church. Yeah, I did. And a lot of that came out of people coming into my office 
and saying something like this to me, Ken, please tell me there's more to the Christian life than this. And what they meant was, I've been following Jesus for 25 years and I I read my Bible, I pray, I serve, I give, and yet I'm stuck. I'm stuck in some addiction, some sinful behavior. I'm stuck in some uh, feelings of some kind of emotional distress that I can't, I can't get out of. And I don't know what to do. I pray about it and it doesn't seem to work. My prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling. I memorize scripture and I just, there's, I'm missing something. So please help me. And that really drove me into a deeper dive in regard to, okay, what is discipleship then? What is this formation? I was trying to coalesce things that Dallas was talking about and Pete Scazzaro and you know, others, there's lots of great writers, Jim Wilder and so forth, and trying to figure out, okay, is there a way to pull all this together and have a centralized message that will help inform us even more so in why people get stuck and how to help them within a biblical worldview? And then, as I'm writing my dissertation, no less, I get terminated from my position as a senior pastor and now, I, now I'm a client, right? I'm a client of my own work. And so I get to start putting into practice what I had been trying to help other people with for all of these years. And uh, it really brought a, a depth to my understanding and it personalized it in such a way that became very important to me in the work that I get to do now with Christian businessmen and pastors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of your quotes uh, in your book is that uh, buried emotions are buried alive, and just the uh, the negative effect that repressed emotion, repressed trauma, uh, internalized stress can have on our our well being, our relationships, uh, and including our relationship with God. Yeah, well, God created our brain to have approximately a hundred billion neurons, meaning that. Everything that we've ever experienced, every thought we've ever had, every experience we've ever had is in our memory banks. We just don't have direct access to it. We have limited access to those things that are in our conscious mind. But then there's a whole non-conscious mind, which I think the Bible refers to as the deep places of the heart, where unresolved emotional pain doesn't just go away over time. It, it sits there and seethes to a degree and can get triggered by any number of current or present dynamics that then bring that up to the surface, almost like a beach ball that you're trying to hold underwater. Mm-hmm. And then it creates quite a bit of collateral damage and an explosive result. Uh, it's interesting when you think about how quickly a, uh, a memory that you haven't had can come to the surface. You can walk into a restaurant and smell an apple pie and go back 30 years when you would go to your grandma's house and she would bake an apple pie. Mm-hmm. Well, you may not have thought about that for 30 years, mm-hmm. but now all of a sudden, in, in an instant, a nanosecond, that whole memory comes to, comes to your mind. And that's just an example, I think, of how, how, this, how this works and how memory works. And when you understand that, it really does help to inform you a lot more in why do I do what I do and how do I address those issues? Yeah, and one of the personal stories you tell in your book, and that's probably my favorite thing about your book, is those personal stories, because, you know, you're my friend, I know you. (laughs) So, (laughs) but you tell the story about um, being a a young boy, three or four years old, and when your parents would argue, they would put you outside in the dark, and probably they were intending to protect you, but, you know, you're feeling abandoned and scared, and you're, you're hearing the conflict, and 
that was like really traumatic for you. And that's one of these experiences that well, buried emotions are buried alive. Yeah. Yeah. And it was creating a current uh, phobia of the dark that as a 56 year old man, I'm thinking, okay, I'm afraid of the dark, really? And it wasn't until I was uh, speaking at a, a men's retreat in Montana and Susan was there and I was sharing this story with the guys, just giving some self-disclosure, trying to model that. And it was embarrassing and humiliating at the same time, but how I still struggle with being afraid of the dark. And when I finished that talk up, Susan came up to me afterwards. She says, well, honey, you know, you know what that's from, right? And I was clueless. Mm. And of course, she knows my story. And she said, do you remember when your parents were fighting that night and they put you outside and it was dark and the, you, know, you, you were afraid and you were crying? And I said, and it was just like a lightning bulb came on and all of a yeah. sudden I connected the dots. My fear of the dark didn't just go away at the snap of the finger because of that realization. But it began me on a, on a journey that helped me put some pieces together. That then when, you, when I shared with her and she gave me empathy and compassion and we could talk through that, it really, it's helped a ton. I'm not saying that I'm completely healed of my fear of the dark, especially when I'm in a cabin all by myself mm. in the woods, but it's, it's different than it was before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it really illustrates the power of emotions and involving our, our, our real self, our, our real experiences in our prayer life and in our discipleship to Jesus so that the, the Lord can set us free. Yeah. And that process of freedom is, a, as you're illustrating, you know, it's not usually an instantaneous thing. That happens sometimes with physical healings, but sanctification is a process uh, over time with steps and moving forward, moving backwards. And so you're in that journey. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Bill, it's such a good point. One of the things that I've learned, especially these last few years about suffering, is everything that God does is relational because he's a relational being. And I think one of the primary reasons why God doesn't just snap his fingers and fix every problem we have is because he wants to go through that problem with us. Mm-hmm. There's also dynamics of his character and nature that I can't know outside of some kind of contrast. So for example, how can I know that God's my provider if I'm never in need? How can I know he's my comforter if I'm never in pain? And so, at least in this life, I think there are aspects or degrees, if you will, of his character and nature that we can't know outside of experience. And I think that's his whole, his whole desire for us, is he wants to be something for us in the middle of that situation that he can't be for us otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. You tell another story that you used to have this sense that when you were preaching, the audience was like holding up scorecards and you would even like imagine that with some, some anxiety. Yeah. And there weren't very many tens. (laughs) (laughs) Why is it like that? That's what we do to ourselves. We, we put ourselves down and criticize ourselves. Yeah. So that, that's unnerving. You're out there looking at the audience and you're, you're feeling this anxiety and gosh, I think it's like 70 some percent of people are afraid of public speaking. Yeah. So a lot of you listening right now, you can put yourself in Ken's skin there and go, yeah, I can imagine I'm, I'm up there preaching and I feel like people are putting up a scorecard. And now imagine you're doing this every week. That's a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And I think it's one of those dynamics that a lot of people don't know that their pastor is struggling with because expectations are a big deal. We all struggle with meeting those expectations in varying degrees, but it is a stress that is a week in and week out you know, pain. I mean, I was, a, I, I was a pastor for 25 years. So for 25 years, 
almost every week I was preaching or teaching. And Susan and I have been married for 35 years. Our anniversary was yesterday. And so I would always seek her out after a message and basically like a little boy say, so what did you think? Yeah. And she got wise to it after a while. And she's like, honey, (laughs) it doesn't matter what I think. I said, no, you're the only one that really does matter what Uh, you think. But it would, it was, it's just this interesting need to be affirmed that I think God has wired into us, but mm -hmm. it's how we go about getting that affirmation that can get us in trouble sometimes. Yeah, well, and especially when the affirmation is built on performance and we're under conditions of worth, and that's the scorecard idea, that that's creating a lot of fear and opening you to judgment. But in the book, you tell a story that uh, is really illustrating the power of spiritual disciplines and soul care and the mind and imagination and prayer and so forth, that you you learn to shift that around and, and to imagine yourself standing under a, a waterfall of grace with, with, with God's just unconditional love pouring over you. And it's like he's just looking at you as you preach and says, you know, Ken, you're my beloved son, mm-hmm. and in you I'm well pleased. Yeah. Yeah, and I think as we're internalizing that unconditional love and acceptance of God in Christ, that then it, this, the, the part of that that splashes off of us gets onto those people that are around us. Yeah. I'm always amazed when I see a fountain, even if it's a, a fountain that has a very small trickle of water, there's always kind of a splash zone around it. And I like to, I like to think of uh, experiencing God's grace as the same, is that as, as I'm taking in his love and his grace, that I am, all, I am a conduit of that love and grace to others as an ambassador for Christ, but it's also, it splashes off of me onto those that are around me so that I'm giving out of my abundance. I'm giving out of the overflow yeah. instead of draining the tank within, which that's really what I did as a senior pastor for so long as I just let that tank drain to the dregs. And then I could only get it back up a, so, a certain amount so I could get through the next weekend and then it would be right back down to zero again. And you can't be running on fumes like that for long term. It's unsustainable. Yeah, living in the overflow, ministering out of the overflow of God's love to us. That's where we want to be. That's the uh, that's the easy yoke of Jesus. And uh, you know, it can be elusive for us when we're when we're working hard, when we're doing our best to uh, lead our church, lead our small group, uh, lead our family, uh, uh, work work uh, on our jobs and business. So to get back uh, in sync into that reality, this the spiritual world where the, the waterfall of grace is just cascading over me. And so the, the power of, of imagination, and that actually affects our, like our brain chemistry in our neurology, which is a, a big point that you, you make. And one of, the, one of the places in your book that you talk about that, you've got this uh, pretty famous quote that, you know, we're, God has wired us for love. There's different ways that that's said, but I, I love that that insight in your book, and you tie that to that story of, of the Rat Park, this famous experiment from the 70s that I just think really illustrates the power of um, how much we need community and to be bonded to one another. Uh, you know, so Jesus says, love one another. So, so tell that story about, about the rats mm-hmm. and how they got addicted to drugs, but then when, when there was a different... <laughs> rat park it was like whole other world for them yeah well it was it, the whole idea was how how will rats perform if they're in isolation as in as if they're in community and so they they took one group of rats and they would put them in their own cages alone and give them a water bottle that was laced with some kind of narcotic 
and the rat would go and hit the bottle and then that would feel pretty good and so it would keep hitting the bottle and that wasn't a big deal that wasn't a big like breakthrough everybody just assumed well of course if you get on those drugs and you feel better you're going to take more well then they created this huge place in their office where they put a kind of you know this big area that they boxed off and they put in you know uh chips and cans and all kinds of different things that rats would like and food was plentiful and water and everything not with drugs and they put in you know this population of rats and so they're just having a ball it's like rat utopia yeah and what they did which was really interesting is then they would take these rats that have been in solitary confinement who were addicted to drugs they put them in that general population and the rats chose to detox on their own. They put bottles up with the drugs in it. And when the rat would go to it and taste and, and, and taste the drug, they would resist it. They wouldn't keep drinking on it. And so it was such a great example of the power of community and the power of love. Mm-hmm. Now, human beings aren't rats, right? That was one of the uh, points one of my readers from my dissertation pointed out to me. And he had a point. But the thing is, is that you know, rats are social creatures. And they need relationship with others. And so that's an easy connect for us as human beings, creating the image of God. We are relational beings that have been created to thrive in the context of a relationship with God and with each other. Isolation is what is the most dangerous thing for any living thing, whether it be a plant or a person or an animal. Yeah, let's just um, go a little deeper on that point about the, the danger of isolation, because I feel like so many of the Christian teachings I hear, whether it's from the pulpit or podcasts or, or books, blogs, but so often what we who are Christian spokespersons sort of come down to the bottom line of what we're inviting people to do, it tends to sound like, well, go connect with Jesus in your Bible or in solitude and pray, and then then go share that with people and, mm-hmm. and go love on people. And it's putting us into potentially, especially is we're broken people who have some areas where we need healing uh it's putting us like into isolation yeah i mean not by faith because because we have a real relationship with god so that's that's a, an opportunity of bonding and growth and grace and healing but it's by faith and so we don't talk very much i i think in christian circles about the importance of relationship not only from that we, we do talk about it from the standpoint of the call to, to share the gospel, to, to minister, to, to, to love the, the broken, the hurting, the needy, the poor. We talk about that, but we don't talk so much about how what I need as the pastor, as the, the small group leader, uh, as the, the, the Christ ambassador uh, who, is, who is representing Jesus to others. Well, well I have needs too. And that, that love one another teaching of Jesus, well, I mean, that's for me too. Right. Yeah. And the whole idea when Paul says we're to bear one another's burdens. I think it's really difficult, and this is one of the things, Bill, you've probably experienced this with pastors that you work with as well, is that there's there's got to be a safe place for the leader to go, for the pastor to go, for the Bible study leader to go, that where they can experience what I refer to in the book as safe feedback, empathy, compassion, understanding. They're glad to be with you in the midst of that, that that there that there's a connection there. There's and when when we're trauma, a lot of the damage trauma does is when we feel alone. And we have a great resilience to difficulty and hardship when we are connected, deeply connected to others, bonded to others. You mentioned that, that aspect. But it's so terrifying to connect with somebody because in order to do that, you have to let your shield down. So 
I always say that the doorway to intimacy is vulnerability. That you have to take that shield down in order to connect with the the love that's on the other side. And if we are on our guard with human beings, we're going to be on our guard with God as well. Mm. And so there is this this interesting dynamic with our relationship with God is always being worked out in our relationship with others, right? James talks about that. You can't separate those two things. It's like discipleship and evangelism, you know, heads and tails. You can't separate them. They become something different when you pull them apart. So the, the need that we have for community, the need that we have for a safe place to talk and to process and be and experience that unconditional love of, of somebody is a way that then we can connect to the unconditional love of God. Yeah, one of the things that you, you talk about is the power of empathy and even from your own journey and through our relationship, how you, uh, in your story of the distress you went through as, as a pastor and uh, being terminated and so forth, you were surprised by the power of a, a, a deep and continuous empathy and how necessary that was for you in your uh, your recovery, your emotional healing, and your discipleship to Jesus. Well, and that's one of the things, Bill, that my time with you, what was so healing about that is you gave me empathy that I was, that was, I was, didn't get. I didn't, and one of the things you also helped me understand is that empathy is something that you can't learn how to do. You have to receive it in order to give it. And I didn't have a whole lot in my tank. And so it, it is the power of that, of being loved, of being accepted, of being valued for who you are, not what you do, uh, but for who you, who you are, who God created you to be. And I, because I think that's how God created us to thrive. I, I think when you go back to the garden and, and Adam and Eve, were, they were naked and unashamed. I think that was both literal and metaphorical. It was metaphorical in the sense that there was nothing that they needed to be afraid of. And so God created us, I think, to live raw and real. And yet the, the world that we live in is not safe. And all of us have experienced quite a bit of pain in one form or another. And so we kind of go around with this armor on and it keeps us in this place of isolation where we can't ever really let the love that is there come in. And so... A lot of times, and this was in my experience, when I just completely hit the bottom, I had nowhere else to go. And when I came to you, you gave me, in that very broken, hurting place, a love and a a friendship that just was its undoing in a to to a large extent. Mm. But it it brings so much healing because I think that's the kind of relationship that God has created us to crave and to need. And when we get it, even though it's not in the perfect form, when we get it, my goodness, it brings about unbelievable growth and change. Yeah. And and then there's that process of undoing. There's a lot of emotion behind that in terms of the, the breaking down of our our false self, our ideal self. We don't maybe even realize it's a false self, but sort of the, the, the me that my personality, as I understand it, a lot, of, a lot of personality is really a constructed self, a constructed way of being in the world and defending against stress and pain and conflict and sin. And so we've got this self that we're operating on and not really thinking about, but underneath that is, is these, these chinks, these places of of woundedness and, and stress. And so what you're saying is that when uh, you were receiving my empathy, there was something that was undoing about that because it was inviting you to feel more deeply and to tell a story 
more uh, substantially and to re-engage that and to realize that underneath the, the external self, inside, there was some more brokenness than you realized and, and more brokenness than you wanted to admit. Yeah. Well, I think the danger of wearing a mask, and we all wear masks, and I think we can wear different masks depending on the social dynamic that we're in, because we put the mask on where we think we're going to be accepted in that particular with that particular group of people. But the danger is, is that when you have a mask on, it creates a barrier between you and the other person. So whatever love or appreciation or whatever they're giving toward you, that doesn't get into you. That gets to the mask. Mm-hmm. And so when you do, when you when you finally feel safe enough with someone because they've demonstrated they're a safe person where you can take that mask off, you feel very vulnerable. So, seriously, it's like sitting there naked and it's, it's, it's tough. And you're dealing with shame, you're dealing with fear, you're dealing with, you know, the, if I really spill this, I'm going to get rejected or he's going to think less of me or what have you. And when you are able to be safe for that person, then they're able to start talking through those things that are the deepest hurts that they have. Shame breeds in secrecy and isolation. And when we start talking about those things that we are ashamed of. Shame has nowhere to go. It's like throwing a bucket of water on the wicked witch is that she just, it just kind of dissolves and melts away. And that is the power of the relational dynamic of having a safe person. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so good. I found that in relationship, not only uh, in my ministry to others, but in my own journey of receiving empathy and care for, uh, for my growth, that, when we're with someone that's safe, we might not feel safe, even if we believe they are, because that process of the empathy they're giving, the, the degree to which we respect them and are looking to them for, for care, or for guidance, is calling forth this deep, vulnerable place in us that is bringing us back to times in our childhood and our history when we were in that vulnerable place and it, it wasn't safe. And so even though our mind tells us, I have reason to be safe with this person, to trust this person, this context and sharing, my body is screaming in the other direction, like putting on the brakes and wanting want to turn back because being this kind of a, a, a person, being childlike this way, being vulnerable this way, everything within in my memory bank is telling me that's not safe. Right. And so when you don't feel safe, your brain automatically kicks into the 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 primitive part of your brain or the first developed part of your brain where your fight flight freeze mechanism is and so when you when you when your brain interprets something as unsafe it triggers that response as a way to protect and so you kind of seal off you know it's kind of like the the force fields go up and now you're you're in this place that feels safe but it's it's not because it's like solitary confinement and so it really it is, is it, and I think this is where a skill comes with a skilled counselor, pastoral counselor, therapist, where they're careful to not trigger that safe that mechanism that puts you in that place of feeling uh, so scared that you you put the fourth force field up. And a lot of why I think this takes so much time these therapeutic relationships, these pastoral relationships take so much time is it takes it takes time to build trust so that you're able to be vulnerable. I think God created us so that when we feel safe, whatever it is inside of us that has been buried there tries to start coming out. And then it's like, oh, no, you don't. We start trying to push it back down again. Often we do that with anger or we do that with addiction or we do that with something else. 
But if we will let that kind of boil up, and then we're, we're in a safe place where we can actually share it with somebody else, and they hear it, they validate it, they give you that compassion, they enter into that pain with you, it, it just, it's, it's quite interesting how, I don't want to just throw the word out miraculous, but it's quite interesting how miraculous that healing is just by being in the presence of somebody else who can walk through that with you. Yeah, so good. And part of that is helping the person who is struggling and reaching out for help, helping them to understand that they're putting up that force field, right. they're putting up that shield. And so that's the reason why you spend some years training to become a counselor or even in soul shepherding, we take two years to train a spiritual director because we want them to be really good at listening and empathy and being gentle and how they how they guide people rather than just like giving advice and trying to fix. And because we want them to understand relational dynamics like we're talking about here. Because yeah. when when I'm seeking help from someone and I'm brave braving it to to be vulnerable, I don't necessarily see some of my defense mechanisms are going on. But if you're listening to me and in, in experiencing what that's like to listen to me, you might notice that I'm being guarded in some certain ways or I'm being self-critical or some other uh, defense mechanism. And so when those unconscious defense mechanisms can be brought into the light of consciousness, now I begin to have some some choices over what I'm going to do with that. Yeah, And so that's all part of discipleship and that's part of the path that you're you're writing about into the unhindered abundance of god's grace yeah yeah and i think it's a skill to ask the kind of questions that don't trigger that defense mechanism but invites them to come to to be vulnerable even something as simple as saying well tell me more about that because when somebody feels they have the choice to do they have some free agency in doing that it doesn't activate that defense mechanism but the moment that you start asking questions in a way that they feel like they're being grilled or, the, or that they're being attacked, even if you're not doing that, if you're trying to fix it, for example, and you're really sincerely trying to be helpful. But if you haven't first validated that and entered into that with them, that it doesn't come across that way. It's just like, no, you're not getting me. You're not hearing me. And it just shuts you down and makes you defensive. And so there's really a, a very uh, organic way, I think, in, in asking questions and being present and entering into that that is... The way of doing that that has integrity to it is just it's very relational and it's loving. And people can tell if they're with somebody that doesn't really care about them or not. Yeah, this is so good. This is uh, right on point with our Soul Talks podcast. You who are listening know that, that we talk a lot about empathy and uh, relational dynamics and discipleship. So before we close here, Ken, let's, let's talk more about spiritual disciplines. And um, I want to begin with a comment that uh, you who are listening might not realize it, but we've actually been talking about spiritual disciplines and talking about <laughs> empathy and, and relationality. That's not usually considered put into the category of spiritual disciplines. We, we think of that as being like, oh, you know, Bible reading, intercessory prayer, confessing our sins, worship, you know, serving, things like that. And those are spiritual disciplines. But this uh, relational stuff of listening and listening prayerfully and being honest, not only confessing sins, but even confessing pain and stress you know, in a relationship, that's uh, really central to the discipleship process. And we can understand that as something that we can practice as, as a discipline for growth. Yeah, I think, honestly, I think anything that moves you closer toward Christ formation can be considered a spiritual discipline. 
I remember Dallas saying at one time that he was practicing the discipline of not saying the last word. Well, I don't remember that in any list of disciplines that I had read over the yeah. years. And so, so I think that, that it, there are traditional disciplines, right, that we know, as you mentioned, and, and those are very helpful. But I think we need to realize, like, like even the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is not an exhaustive list of the fruit. And so it, there are characteristics of love. And when you think about the uh, spiritual disciplines, really anything that is a becomes a catalyst toward our growth and maturity in Christ, which would be spiritual and emotional health, can be considered a spiritual discipline. Now, there are some disciplines that I think are uh, really helpful. For example, I have a whole chapter in the book where I talk about uh, the disciplines that help wire rewire our brain, and two of those are scripture memorization and meditation, biblical meditation. And I've found that to be true in my own life, and my wife Susan has, has as well, at how memorizing scripture and meditating on, that, on the scripture and going over it and over and over it, now that I understand more about the brain, creates neural pathways then that over time become my default as opposed to whatever the negative distorted thoughts that I was thinking. So it's interesting that you can take traditional spiritual disciplines and you can put them in the rubric of even the things that we're talking about here are a more holistic standpoint and say, oh, well, they connect and fit just as well. Yeah, what we think about, um, especially if we think deeply with our hearts, uh, and especially if we're thinking about uh, God's Word, uh, has a big impact on our personality and our health and all of our relationships. Um, I loved how when you were talking about the power of Scripture memory and, and Scripture meditation in, in our discipleship process, you told the story of your seeing your grandpa read the Bible. And um, that's probably, I know your, how important your grandpa was to you. Yeah. And uh, that's probably a big part of your love for God's word. Oh, for sure. So I lived with my grandparents for three and a half years on my family's ranch in Southern Utah when I was, uh, when I was a little boy. And my bedroom door was, a, I had a direct line of sight to his side of the bed. And every night, Bill, I would see him reading his Bible. It, it got to the point where, I mean, I was like 11 years old, so I'm a little boy. I was thinking, he must be a slow reader because he never gets through <laughs> this book. But it was my grandpa's love for the Word that was contagious to me, that really I believe instilled, in, as a very young boy, a love for God's Word that is still true to this day. And I've been studying God's Word now for 46 years and I, I was just reading the Acts this morning and finding some new nuggets in there and going, wow, I hadn't seen this before. How could, how could I have missed this? And I, that's just the beauty that God's Word is living and active. And uh, it's just something that I will take it to my grave, my, my love for God's Word. Mm, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, one more story I, I want you to share before we sign off. Uh, this comes during that period where you were you were depressed and you were reeling from losing your your position as lead pastor and trying to understand what what God was up to in your life and uh, what were you gonna how were you gonna provide for your family and what were you gonna do with your your calling to be a pastor and uh, and so you took a lot of walks at the beach you and Susan and uh, you spent a lot of time journaling and solitude and you spent time talking with people like me just to uh, sort all this stuff through and seek empathy and prayer and you were in God's word. And, uh, and one day when you were uh, in a hard place with this, you said that you, you looked up into the sky and 
Uh, I think you had a mystical experience. I don't think you used that term, but (laughs) tell us what happened there. (laughs) Oh, gosh. It's in my chapter in the book on uh, on God's love. And so Susan and I were together at a, at a, a place down by the beach. And you're right. I was in a place of hopeless despair for months. It was, it was brutal. And I wasn't feeling the love. I, I didn't have the perspective that I do now, that I'm learning things about God's character and nature. And he's walking with me through this. I'm just thinking, please just get me out of this pain. And I remember as I was sitting there, uh, Susan was reading a book and I'd been reading something. I don't remember what it was. And I looked up and I saw a, the beginnings of skywriting. Well, I hadn't seen that in probably 20 years, right? And the first letter was I. And then, then he continued, L-O-V-E-Y-O-U. And I thought to myself, oh, that's nice. Some guy's going to, you know, tell his, his girl he loves her or whatever. And, you know, isn't that, isn't that sweet? Well, as he started on the name, the next letter he wrote was K-E-N. The whole message read, I love you, Ken. Now, I don't know who this Ken guy was that, was, that paid for that or, or girl that paid for that for her Ken, but God was writing, skywriting, I love you, Ken, for me. Mm. And I, I remember looking at that and going, oh boy. And I said to Susan, I said, honey, please look up and tell me you see that. She looked up and she did. She saw it. So I have her testimony that it actually happened. But it's just one of those things was like, are you kidding me? Mm. And, you know, again, I think it's it's difficult to really internalize the magnitude of God's love for us. Mm -hmm. And... That day, man, I needed that more than anything else, just to know that he loves me and that he's there. And, and he did that. So that's, I will chalk that up to a mystical experience, mm-hmm. but it, it was God writing his, his love, love letter to me. Oh, so fun. I love that. So you who are listening, you're going to want to get a copy of Unhindered Abundance. And of course, you can do that wherever books are sold, uh, uh, Amazon or wherever. You can also do that with a special deal that uh, Ken has worked out with his publisher, Nav Press, where you can get 20% off. And so we're going to facilitate that for you who are Soul Talks listening community. If you go to soulshepherding.org uh, forward slash unhindered abundance, you can sign up uh, and link right in there to get unhindered abundance for 20% off. So that's a great deal. And you'll be supporting a great uh, ministry uh, for the Institute of Discipleship Training, which uh, Ken leads. And so, gosh, Ken, it's been so fun to have you on Soul Talks. Thanks for sharing and thanks for your, your book. And uh, gosh, just hope that uh, more and more people will get your book and learn uh, a more uh, holistic and robust perspective on discipleship that's integrating uh, the, uh, the truths of Scripture with the uh, emotions and psychology, um, understandings of ourself, with our uh, embodied lives, our, our neurology and our habits, and you know, put all that together, and that's the process of transformation, and that's your message. Yeah, thanks, Bill. It's been great being with you. And I just want to say, so much of what has helped to shape me, especially in these last probably 10 years that you and I have been friends, has been what you have brought to me, the things that I've learned from you, the things I've learned through soul shepherding, through the spiritual direction training and so forth have all been aspects that have 
helped bring clarity mm. to my thinking and ministry that is now bearing fruit tenfold. And mm. so I'm grateful to you mm. for your friendship and uh, just for how you've been a mentor to me in so many very important ways and how you and Christy have been so generous with your time and friendship and coming alongside of uh, Susan and myself. And it, it really is a, an amazing thing. And I, I love the fact that your Soul Talks community uh, are those people that can both receive that and also give that to others. Mm-hmm. And as we do this together, man, we're creating a movement that I believe is going to span the globe and bring the love of Christ in ways that maybe people have never experienced before. Oh, that's so good. Thank you, Ken. You're, you're reminding me of being together, uh, you and I with our wives in the Soul Shepherding Institute and yeah. going through the four retreats. And you had a couple of your dear friends who became friends of ours, Margie and Aram, Keith with you. And uh, just that whole journey that we did together, a mm-hmm. lot of learning. And uh, you're just uh, an amazing student and contributor. You were taking uh, furious notes and asking questions and absorbing it all. And then you've you've you're uh, um, quite the reader and the learner. And so you've uh, amassed a lot of knowledge and been living into this. And so Ken has his own retreats that he teaches in Montana now as part of uh, IDT Ministries. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's a joy when we can learn from Jesus together and just keep uh, spreading his gospel to people near and far that we would, uh, you know, become more like Jesus, become more loving. That's what it's about. Yeah, so, it's definitely a journey together with Jesus. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, friends, we'll talk to you next week. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Friends, I'm excited to tell you that Soul Shepherding has a network of senior spiritual directors available to help you. You just go to soulshepherding.org forward slash network, and you can find one of the men and women ministers that Christy and I have personally trained through our Soul Shepherding Institute and Spiritual Direction Certificate Program. And they are great at empathy, asking questions, listening with a tender heart, praying for you, and guiding you gently uh, on the path of life with Jesus uh, in your prayer life and in the challenges of your life, your ministry, your work. And so check out the soulshepherding.org forward slash network of senior spiritual directors who are available to talk with you and support you in your life, in your ministry. Thank you for joining us on the Soul Talks podcast. To find out more about growing in your life and leadership, subscribe to the podcast and visit us at soulshepherding.org.